Let us not be ashamed to speak what we shame not to think. Michel de Montaigne In a realm abound with fragility and fabrication, truth is forced underground. We must, as sentinels do, provide sanctuary to the marketplace of ideas. And so, let us prepare to proclaim boldly and contend forthrightly before the court. This is Candor and Counter. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of Candor and Counter. I'm Sean. I'm David. And I'm Chris. Thank you all for coming back to us this week, or coming to us for the, for the first time <laughs> at all. Yeah, either way, we appreciate it. We appreciate any listeners yes. listening to us ramble. Feeling weighed down by all that food. Yeah, we just carb loaded. <laughs> I'm curious to see what you guys came across this week. Yeah. Yeah. So our topic, if you didn't listen to the first candor episode about this topic, which we recommend you do, it is, I'm sure you already know because you read the title of the episode when you clicked on it. Old, older, <laughs> no new earth, or is it new earth, older? It's basically, the way it's written, the way our question or topic is written today is age of the earth is it 6000 biblical years or 4.3 billion yeah. scientific years right hold on yeah well for me and well I, I guess i assume for david there's not a lot of different ways we can come down on on this subject right even with all the looking there's so much of the 6000 the young earth theory gets placed on belief like there's some evidence to support it right right but but, but the idea itself is yeah. born out of the well I, I would say i mean both are based off of belief well okay but yeah. more is based off of belief for the young earth versus the old earth like there is more evidence to support i mean the specific earth. age they're drawing from scripture right well yeah i mean you know i guess you wouldn't which is you, you part of the belief. Right, right. So, like, even with, say, the lineages, those are based off of characters within a book that you have to have a belief in that book to believe that it is true. Yep. So, while the, there's some empirical evidence that points towards it, so I'm not discounting the fact that it couldn't be, but there is more evidence on the side of the older Earth. Yeah. Can you recount any examples that you came across that seemed surprising? Pointing towards the uh, New Earth? Yeah. Yeah. It's so hard. Because evidence that's supporting one side or the other are both assumptions, right? Right. You have to make your conclusion as a guess based on... like. We'll just say, for instance, the the carbon dating thing, which is actually, I, I got into a, a good bit of the, the, the. It's actually quite accurate, only, up to a certain amount, and then it starts to go wild, and there has to be trace amounts of about ten percent of its original um, amount of right, carbon right. fourteen, for it to be accurate. 
I mean, don't they use a, a lot of different? Uh, There's a ton of different kind of uh, radioactive decay elements. Right. Yeah. Version dating. Yeah. It's not just carbon. Dating. It's not just carbon fourteen they use for for right. radiometric dating. Yeah, a lot of the information that I came across on on radiometric dating had a lot to do with actually that they don't use carbon fourteen near as much because for long term. <clears throat> And it has to be organic. That's what I was saying. Right, right. For long-term or distant past yeah. studies, which really when we're talking about um, Older, age of the yeah. earth, would probably lend itself to a more geological. I used carbon-14 a lot in the last episode, but in reality, you know, there's, there's what was the one? There's one that goes with argon, potassium argon dating and uh, uranium lead dating. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. But there are wildly different readings that come yes. from different materials. Like they've dated some basalt flows that they know were fairly recent um, in recorded history that, you know, record up to thousands and millions of years old. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the two methods don't agree either. Like there would be a potassium argon radiometric date and then there would be a uranium lead date and there would be a 500 million year yeah gap and it just undermines the understanding it, it muddies the waters a lot it does i'm only mentioning carbon 14 but for the other ones i didn't look at their specific percentages and stuff uh but for carbon 14 it i mean it's first half-life is about the length of the age of the Earth, according to the old uh, young Earth model. Right. Its half life is like five thousand, roughly something. five five seven thirty. Were you looking a lot into into radiometric dating? A little bit, but not extensively. Like right. I didn't spend a whole day on it. Right. Did I you- spent about one day on on radiometric dating, but I ended up on a video that, like. It wasn't like a debate or a factual article or anything, you know. And I'm still unhappy with my knowledge on radiometric dating. But they they did talk a lot about stuff that made sense, at least the way they explained it. And it needs more study. So I I haven't, I don't want that to be my only source, if that makes sense. No, yeah. I think this is a footnote for all of us. Yeah. Hopefully. But they talked some about contamination and leakage. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the soil around the... The way they explained it was this. So when they take their readings, take potassium argon, for example. Potassium, over its decay, eventually turns into argon. And the way that they can tell how old something is, they can measure the amount of argon versus the amount of total argon and potassium. So if you imagine like a hourglass... And in the beginning, the sand is all the way at the top. You can see how much time has passed by the amount of potassium that has decayed into argon. Just like you can see how much time has passed at the um, sand that's at the bottom by the, of the sand that's at the bottom of the hourglass. And so, in the end, when they're checking to see how much argon is there, how much potassium has decayed into argon, there are assumptions that are made and. 
at first you might think the process is foolproof, but it's actually, there has to be something going on either in the data or with the original samples or something for all of these, or in the original sample for all of these data sets to disagree, like between the different types of dating right, or the different times it's tested and come up with different readings. Take, for example, like basalt flows can trap argon itself within the rock and that can permeate into and transfer into samples and you don't have any knowledge right, of how right. much was the original starting conditions, how much argon was trapped in the sample to begin right. And the second is contamination. So you can find argon sources within the rocks as you test and the concentrations get higher. And so they've shown that argon, even just sitting there, like just not going spreads in. Spreads out like a pool of water just. Yeah, there's the radius gets weaker and weaker and weaker. In addition to leakage, there's also the issue of initial starting conditions. So you don't know what was in the sample even before the leakage. And then in addition to that, there is the problem with the consistency of decay. I mentioned this last week a little bit, and I know that it's easy and fundamental to sort of believe that rate to believe that radioactive decay and the rate of radioactive decay has always been constant, but it's something that we can't always know for sure. Uh, that it, That's one of those things. It, it's hard to say whether or not that's true because you can say that about any law in the realm of science. And at that point, we just have to believe whatever. I get what you mean by it because it sounds like... It's one of those things that almost has to be a constant. I mean, we've always measured it to be a constant, and I get that. I'm not disagreeing, and I'm not saying it wasn't a constant, but there's a part where, all right, take, uh, what's a good example? All right, so I actually meant to go over this last week. I think I even started to bring it up. I can't remember, but yeah, I did because I started to talk about, I started to talk about time dilation. Yeah. You remember? Yeah. But I never actually got to where I was trying to go. I realized that afterward. And what I was trying to get at was time dilation brought me to a point where I realized that I had to make a choice on something. And we talked about what time dilation is and about how I might know where you're going with this. The light reaching us is a certain age. And that's almost undeniable, right? Because there we know the right. definite speed of light, the maximum, the speed of light, you know. And so knowing exactly how long it took to get here is not a, it's a very simple equation. Right. And it's a very, it's something that it doesn't matter if it's the sun or Neptune or we can tell how far away, I mean, how long light's going to take to get here and because of the distance from them. And so it's not complicated. Anyway. I think I vaguely remember someone mentioning, so it might have been you, it might have been a discussion we had a long time ago, but there was a, somebody mentioned that, so you place these interstellar bodies, right? But with the creator theory, like they didn't have to just place the big things, they could place the small things like the protons on their way over. Yeah, you're getting there. Yeah. I don't remember if that was you or if that was... 
I don't know if there's a name for this. I don't know. And this was probably me that, because yeah. it sounds like something I would, how I would say it. I don't know why that just suddenly like clicked in my brain and unlocked a memory. But basically, and you were knocking on the door right there. You're at it. There is a point where God, in my opinion, set a spinning machine in motion, but he set it in motion. He didn't kickstart it. Yeah. He didn't set everything down and go, okay, go. Yeah. Yeah. He created an instantaneously running machine as if it's been running. Right. Now I know the implications of that because it sounds like a cop out and I knew it when I told it to myself years ago. Okay. So I understand that, but I also understand the capability of an infinitely powerful being to do that as well. So I don't find the contradiction, but I also don't want it to sound like I don't care. Right. Does that make sense? It's not like I'm not looking for answers because of it. I mean, basically I understand what you're trying to say, because if you're able to say that, if you're able to say like this person or this being is able to do this, then you can just use that argument for everything. Yeah. It can be used if you're not intellectually honest. Right. It can be used to convince yourself of anything. And so I'm careful when I use that because like the issue with time dilation, I think God is fully capable of creating those photons in flight. Right. Right. Carrying an image of something that didn't exist. Right. God, he, he put the stars in the sky when men were created. He didn't want them to have to wait 750 million years before most of them appeared in the sky. Right. I'm not like trying to use this all over the place. I just wanted to. I follow. Anyway. So I don't know how that relates to radioactive decay. I was just saying that it might in some way, because if we were to have lead, if God, you see what I'm saying? Uranium would have had to decay into lead. All right. So did you, well, just like a small little note on what you said about, you know, believing God can create the universe to appear to be older than when he created it. I had, Ran into that theory a little bit as well when I was researching, and one like line they drew to to enforce it was God had also created uh, Adam as a fully mature man, so he could create a universe that's already been matured. As oh, well. a correlation. Oh, okay, he, yeah. Okay, he didn't create an infant, and then right, and that's yeah. Okay, I didn't actually think about that or see that, but that makes sense. It's a good example because. That's sort of the machine in motion, yeah. you know? And I mean, I was just sort of playing devil's advocate there yeah, because yeah. I don't totally. Yeah. But but you do have to be careful with blanket statements yeah. that God can do anything. You know what I mean? And I believe God can do anything. But when it comes to logic, you can't let yourself abandon logic right. just you, because yeah. cause he also gave you that. You know? <laughs> That's a really good point, too, yeah. So anyway, and I don't know how much of that universe in motion applies to the age of the earth. And I don't know how much of that applies to radioactive decay. That was something else I wanted to talk about. So the, it was mentioned a little bit last episode where I had asked if basically if earth was the first thing created. I mean, I worded it differently. I, I asked something about, it, it does, is there something that says the stars couldn't have been there first? And basically, uh, we kind of dismissed it because it was, we were at that time talking about 
how the earth was created in six days. So it, we just brushed it aside. But then I thought about it more. And is there anything that says the universe didn't exist before the earth existed? In the Bible? or Yeah, anything specifically that well denies first, or says specifically that the earth is the... Well, I, yeah. so how about we read Genesis 1? I actually read... Uh, which I should have done I read a good part of Genesis earlier today. I'm going to read Genesis 1, verse 1. And we'll probably go to... We'll go to verse 20-something there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm, according to their kinds, and every winged bird, according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds. 
and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God made man, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth. Everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Some of the questions were answered there. So at the end of each day, he announces the day. And so day four, he says, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. But I mean, imagine if the Bible didn't say anything about stars or basically all of day four. If the Bible didn't state anything specifically about putting the stars in the sky. Oh, if it weren't specifically mentioned later, I think you could interpret it that way. Yeah, certainly. Sure. That's what I was saying. And this is me going through that roller coaster. As as we were reading it, this is how you were processing it. Okay, okay. Yeah, I got you now, yeah. Genesis, as a literal interpretation actually tends to run into this problem because the sun and the moon are created after light is brought to the earth. And this, I saw, you know, some interpretations of it being before God had created anything, it was chaos. And the light he brought was him pulling order from the chaos, not necessarily actual light. Yeah. In fact, an interpretation that I ran across also states that it was a large part of creation is God ordering things and not necessarily creating things. In fact, in verse one, one of the most disputed creation verses out there is verse one. And it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The interpretation of in the beginning can also be because it's contextual. So you can find it in other places in the Bible. In the beginning can also be translated as when. And then that turns the first sentence, the first verse into a dependent clause for the second one. Mm. So then it becomes God created the heavens and the earth when the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And that changes the meaning entirely. Yeah. I, I, I didn't, I also heard what you're saying. It was phrased in a slightly different way. Like someone had brought up, Jesus had said in the beginning there was man. And you know, that was sort of an argument because in the beginning was. Oh, right. I the, the interpretation of in the beginning was, was what they were talking about. So it depends on how, you use the Hebrew in this situation. And you remember 
I've talked about in yeah. episodes past. I mean, it's just, it's not just context or literal translations that matter, but in this case, like when you're trying to figure out what they were trying to communicate. And I think that should be the goal of the script of scripture. What was intended when it was written for the people it was intended to be read by, because that's the only way you can accurately understand it. And so if you're putting your own modern worldview into this, you're going to come out with the wrong answers if you look at it solely with that lens. And I can see the results of this because I've done this over the years. We've talked about that kind of thing before. Yeah, I mean, the perspective that you look at it, if you look at it from a modern, if you carry all of your modern cultural context into it, then you're going to dilute or misrepresent what was intended. So I was listening to a perspective that is fascinating to me right now. I don't know where I fall on this scale. I'm just going to be honest. And it's creating some controversy internally. I'm trying to work through it. This is, again, going to be one of those processes that's not going to happen yeah. today. But I want to share at least where we're at or where I'm yeah. at and um, how this is going. And this perspective was about Hebrew culture, about how they wrote and viewed and looked at the world and their scripture back then. Part of that was how they view things and their existence. And the way that was described that <clears throat> made sense, I got a bubble. The way that it was described and, and made sense to me was things weren't really considered to be in existence until their purpose was described till they were given purpose. They were named by their purpose. They were everything to us is, is it is descriptive. I follow about appearance and existence materially. Mm -hmm. But if you reread Genesis again, and you look at it from the perspective of purpose and God giving purpose and bestowing order on chaos and untamed wilderness or however you want to look at it. You'll see how let's read just a couple of verses. You'll see what I'm talking about. Oh, and by the way, there's a Hebrew word for cr created that is actually used in many, many places. And very rarely does it mean if ever we don't know because in the other places it's used, there's a, an exhaustive list if you ever want to look it up. But the word for created is bara. And bara, bara can be used possibly to explain the existence of something from nothing. As in the way that it's contextually used in other places in the yeah, Bible. Yeah, I got it. But in some places in the Bible, in quite a few places in the Bible, it cannot be. Like it's specifically. In that context that it's used later in the Bible, it wouldn't make sense for it to be that. Yes. In many situations in the Bible, bara is used to denote giving purpose to that is the form of creation because it gives purpose. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And it isn't created until it has purpose. 
And that's the perspective. It's not a, it's possibly not just created like materially. It can mean that God ordered things. So let's read it in that way. And we'll change just for the perspective of this lesson that I went through to try and understand it. Let's read it as when instead of in the beginning. God created, I'll say gave purpose to. God gave purpose to the heavens and the earth when the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. Now, when you see here in a minute, you'll see God talking about light and you'll see that all he's doing is labeling its purpose. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So if you skip from three or verse three and go all the way to, there it is, verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons. So he was denoting the purpose of how humans would use them. I think I follow. And so what he's doing is he's saying, here's these things in their view, in this one lesson that I was listening to, they didn't prescribe to the literal six day. What they were saying was that man existed already and he was giving purpose. And this is when God came into his creation and started to take the chaos that was existence and reorder it to become his garden and his temple. And this was his arrangement. Now I'm not saying that I prescribe to that view, but I'm saying that I'm currently listening to it to hear what it has to say. And so this is what I'm currently reading through. And I think enough people understand or know what the general belief about the creation story is, the Christian creation story. This is outside of that generally accepted. How how do they explain, like if that's what they believe, do they still believe that God created man? Like how do, how do they explain God creating man yeah, if, I, if he had already existed? Yes. I would imagine that they think he created everything and then it wasn't kept. It, it wasn't written down, right? And right? that it began from when purpose happened. Yes. And I want to interject something here, but I don't want to lose your point, but it is the right moment in time. I wanted to note that God is viewed as a timeless being. It doesn't, time has no bearing on him whatsoever, right? He's outside of space and time. And so how long ago he created the universe compared to the age of man doesn't necessarily matter to him. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So however long it took us to develop is only relevant to us and not necessarily to him. Right. But to your point, Sean, you were saying, what is their view on 
when does man come into the picture? And their perspective was, but I'm still in Genesis in their study. And so I haven't gotten to all of it, but I have gotten through when man comes into the picture. And from my understanding, what they are positing is that man already existed. Now, God could have created everything in the beginning. I mean, it's funny when you think about it, really, because if he's an all-powerful God, and to, to most Christians, this is probably a heretical thought. I don't really know. But how many universes is he capable of creating? I mean, imagine, like, bubble universe theory, right? It's not- just imagine he's just like this one. Fiddle, fiddle. What are y'all doing over there? Now, like, I don't want to leave behind some basic tenets that I believe, which is one is I believe that he's good. Mm-hmm. And I also don't believe that he makes mistakes. Now, that to many outsiders, you can have a view of an omnipotent being who makes mistakes. But to my view of one who is always morally good, he doesn't. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so I know you didn't mean anything by it. You don't mean anything. You knew what I meant. By fiddling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just wanted to clarify just so that so that I was up yeah, front. So that was more clear. I think that he always does what he intends to do. Because someone who knows everything and controls everything doesn't typically need to make yeah. a mistake. <laughs> you knew what I meant. But I'm following you, man. Because you, know. you know in my head that meant adjust, adjust. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, I do something here and do things there. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I don't know. I, I like that. I like that idea. The like multiverse theory. And another point is they also view Adam as chosen and created by God, but created in the way that he created the earth. So instead of materializing Adam. Right. He says, you are the one. And this everything is going to continue from here. Yeah, and their view that man is on earth, and he creates, God is creating his sort of temple and repurposing and fixing chaos, and he's going, man is going to be his high priest to do that. And he starts with Adam, and he gives Adam a purpose. And it's just to be at the helm right. Of the world that he's created. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily that he picked up dust materially and like packed him into a body. Right. Because they go through pretty regularly in this lesson and then they talk about how the Hebrew text isn't concerned about the scientific perspective of the way this is interpreted because that's they don't think that way. I didn't realize it may have been mentioned before how much the uh, tree of knowledge of good and evil, how much that lines up with like actual consciousness, not just like moral consciousness, but consciousness in and of itself. Instead of just knowing, you know, this is good, this is bad. It also lines up with, you know, us being able to be introspective and curious about thoughts. Yeah. To touch on the tree a little bit, even though it's not 
totally part of the age of the earth necessarily, but it's in this, we always end up in this weird place oh, yeah. where things touch other things. Yeah. And they're really interesting <laughs> yeah. and I can't let them go, you know? And a tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is like irresistible to talk about anytime you get close yeah. to it to me. I agree. Something with a title like that. <laughs> now there were two trees. Did you know that? I did not. What's the other one? So there were two trees that were essential in the Garden of Eden. And one was the tree of life. I knew you were going to mm. say that. And the other was the tree. Because there is a tree of life in every religion. Now, mainstream creationists or Christians, a lot of them would believe that death did not enter the picture for human beings, that God had created a perfect world before the fall of man, before the betrayal of God's direction. And the other perspective that I came across was that God had a purpose and that God eventually wanted man to have the knowledge that comes from the tree, but he wanted him to be mature enough to be able to understand it. Just like you don't, just like you don't give your seven-year-old keys to the car. As they mature and they can handle a situation, then you let them have it. So God had a plan, but that he didn't necessarily wasn't prepared for them yet to consume and expose them before they their spiritual health and relationship with God, which he had placed them in Eden for, had matured to that point. Right. And that choosing to expose themselves to something that, although they probably would have it later, having it too early, of course, they make the wrong choice. Mm -hmm. Is there a measurable amount of time between the creation of Adam and them leaving the garden? I don't remember there being a measurable amount of time between the two. Okay. I only ask that, that I remember. because if death wasn't in the picture, then that could have been an indefinite amount of time. Mm -hmm. If you believe that one, well, I think Adam had an age. Really? Mm -hmm. Interesting. A total age, if that makes sense. Like, a, a, like from when he died. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. The perspective of death changes too. When you compare the words that were used in Genesis for that death, but later in the New Testament, the same word is used again, but in reference to spiritual death. And so what mm. God may be saying there is that maybe spiritual death came upon them, a separation from God. Right. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. They were intended and purposed to be with him for eternity. They betrayed him, and so now they're going to know spiritual death, and they have to find another way because they're exiled from the garden. They have to find another way to be in communion and come back to be in a relationship with God because now they're right. exiled. They got to pick up the pieces. Yeah. So. Was there an age? 930, I think. Whoa. You weren't aware? No, I expected like a few hundred probably, right? <laughs> okay. But like almost a thousand. Almost a thousand. A lot of I, them. I knew he was old, yeah. but I'd, I couldn't remember. Anyway. Well, there was something I wanted to ask because I had come across just like one little thing 
that I guess piqued my interest that I didn't really look into was I'm curious how Genesis is like supposed to be framed because you're talking about what we talked about in the last episode. No, I don't think so. I can't even remember where I read it, but, and I also don't know the validity, but the claim was God had shown Abraham the history of the earth or universe from beginning to end. And Abraham at some point then told Moses what he had seen. And that's what Genesis is. Is that right? Or, or do you know? Nobody actually knows. There are theories as to where the books come from, but they don't really know. I mean, some do believe that it was carried on and written somewhere in the line of Abraham. Some people believe it's written by quite a few different people, like multiple author situation. We don't really know. Okay. So I should also note that this perspective that I came across, I don't know what to call it. It's not like they said, right? We Here's are this theory. Yeah. This is what we call this whole picture. Yeah. They didn't. It's just someone breaking down, you know, Hebraic text. That's how things start, though. Like, ideas. And so they, they're still coarse and not yeah. and polished. With, made to be pretty. Yeah. They are falling on the old earth, right? These. I mean, this series wasn't actually to do with the age of the earth. It was just about oh, interpreting the text. To, okay, yeah. But I had run across it while trying to look at Hebrew in Genesis, right? You know, and trying to understand it. And the cultural context of the way they are able to explain the way the Jewish people would have seen this text, would have read this text, the sentence structure, and all of these things that are sort of left out of the more complex discussions is what I wanted to try to understand. Mm. And I'm not, I don't want any listener to misunderstand me either. I'm not taking this series that I watched or I'm trying to understand as, as gospel truth. I'm trying to get to an answer that makes sense to me. It's also, and there's too much information left out in a lot of the creation debates. They seem to cherry pick. Oh yeah. If you haven't listeners, I would suggest you watch the Bill Nye versus uh, Bill Nye versus Ken Ham debate. It's three hours long, so if you plan to watch it, it's yeah, not play at your own risk. Yeah, right. But it's not boring. From what I've seen, they've bounced around the topic, never hitting it. I mean, they hit it directly on the head a couple of times during their talks. I um, think part of the problem is there's so many facets to yeah, the idea. Yeah, it's like you have to do you a lot of explaining. jump anywhere, and oh, there's something yeah. to talk about regarding the beginning. But it's not just one of them. They both do it. And the way I consume information, it bothered me a little bit. Much more linear. Right. I, I like a show me the evidence so I can compare it in my head right there because I get distracted really easy. So, yeah. Anyway. I'm the same way. But the debate is really good. And if you don't plan on watching the whole thing, at least watch their opening statements because they get most yeah. of their ideas out in those opening statements. So with all the information that's, oh, with all the evidence that you can find, there's a lot, like, you can find the same piece of evidence that supports both sides just depending on how you view the evidence. So when you hear this, like, cherry picking where they're 
picking this this one specific piece of evidence and they're saying, well, because of this, it is this. Yeah. And then the other person also goes, well, because of this, it's actually this. Yeah. It leans on which, where your belief lies, like whether it yeah. lies with this, the standard scientific model or with the Bible. So you can't. It just sort of plays to your bias. Obviously. Right. You get the confirmation you were looking for, but you don't actually absorb the other side. Really. Right. Even halfway through my viewing, I realized that I was absorbing more from Bill Nye's side than I was Ken Ham's. Which, every- which when I watched the debate, I watched it live originally. And when I came away from it, I was absorbing a lot from Ken Ham. It was just. Right. So it totally yeah. feeds you. It, it was, I don't know, 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes. And I realized this. And I went back and rewatched like Ken Ham's opening statement and then the beginning to his, his main statement and his main, it's hard not to pay attention to the main statement. I mean, they get 30 minutes to kind of like open free, open up and just talk. But the information doesn't stick as hard and you find yourself kind of trying to poke holes as it goes along. Yeah. Yeah. So like I had to kind of like restart and then, realign my brain with like okay think of this as if you held the bible you know as a historical document as as this uh, just truth as a piece of truth it's a lot easier i tell you what it's a lot easier to absorb the there is a term for that and i am the world's worst at forgetting all of these terms but there's a it's a thing people do that when you go to analyze something the first time that you go through it you're supposed to go through it how you would naturally feel and not fight any instinct. And then the second time they tell you to go back and watch it again, this is to, this is a way to get around bias. This is actually a common thing. Mm. And you're supposed to watch it again. I have no idea. You never heard of this? <laughs> no. no. Yeah, I it's a thing. So you're supposed to go back and, you're, and that's why I'm so, I can't remember the name of it. That's actually uh, quite exciting to hear. Cause so you're supposed to go back it. through it again, and this time you go in totally open to whatever the topic, you know what I mean? Like whatever Right, the be. words that are being yeah. spoken, like mm-hmm. you absorb that. It's almost like once you've heard your confirmation, then you can relax a little bit and say, I feel safe enough, I'm going to go analyze this. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know. Anyway. I also wanted to ask, because I ran into it, did they, in the videos where they were breaking down the Hebrew Hebrew text, did they go over the Hebrew word for day, yom? Uh, not specifically, no. I'm going to be 100% honest. I didn't expect you to whip out a Hebrew word. <laughs> well, it was, the like only one I, it was the only one I came across, and I was well, actually, reminded because Chris, I believe Ken Ham does eventually go over that. Because he talks about how many times day. It would, yeah, it would make sense. <clears throat> but I know that I have heard it from Ken Ham in the past and there, how he references where, where they, a day means a 24 hour day and then compares it to other texts. I also wanted to mention something that concerned me while I was watching this video series. And that is they made some references and I was careful. I'm, I tried to be careful when trying to learn more about the Bible, because there, <clears throat> there are 
reasons to try to understand what was going on in the times. There's a reason to understand what the Roman government was going through when Jesus was right, dying. Right. There's reasons to understand what the Jews were going through when Jesus was dying. All of that is culturally, contextually important. But using certain things as sources that aren't sources to draw conclusions that could be indirect can be misleading. Mm -hmm. Like drawing inferences because of a similarity between, say, an Egyptian text and a Hebrew text and saying because the Egyptian text means this, this could mean this. Does that make sense? There could be lines that are too loosely drawn for me to feel comfortable with their conclusion. And that does happen in these video lessons. And I'm aware that it happens. It's one thing if you want to draw from somewhere else in the Bible. But it's another if you want to draw from an Egyptian text and say the Egyptians and the Hebrews could have believed the same thing because they were in the Middle East. There are some connections that are too loose for me. Not direct enough to be proof of intent to that scripture. Right. So you have to be careful what sources you let influence your scripture. And I'm not saying that you can't try to understand the cultures surrounding the cultures that you're dealing with. It's But you have to be very careful about what you say, this is what God meant. You, you understand what I'm yeah. saying? Those are big boy words. Like, <laughs> right. you don't draw conclusions. It's a bold from, statement. Yeah. And I'm, I'm careful about that everywhere. And just because I'm listening to these, I want people to understand this. And I probably say this more than I should have to, <laughs> more than I need to. But I want to clarify, like, I don't necessarily believe all the stuff I'm talking about. I'm trying to understand what they believe. And if it has any bearing on what I believe, mm -hmm. and I'm open to trying to compare the two. And this is a new experience because I haven't really heard this perspective before. It's exciting, isn't it? It, it is. I, I was sucked into it, even though it kept going past creation, you know? Right. And I was like, I'm just going to keep listening to this, <laughs> even yeah. though I won't be able to talk about it. <laughs> but I also, I don't want to ignore the fact that the question is, is the earth 4.3 billion years old? You know, I got stuck in a train of thought. Although this does touch on that a little bit. Yeah. Because that's how this door opened up because I watched the video that sort of said, it doesn't necessarily say the earth's 4.3 billion years, but it's saying, Hey, the way that you're reading the beginning and the creation of the earth may be off. And, the first instinct for a Baptist or a creationist is to recoil away from that and go, no, God said six days. It's 6,000 years ago. But of course the whole, whole purpose of this was to take the bait, right. right? That everybody's avoiding. And I'm entertaining those ideas. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm going through them logically and I'm going through them with faith. Still, And the fact that man could be here before and and God finally gave us purpose. It would line up with the standard scientific model. It does. It does. It could. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. it's almost like a, it's almost like leaving it open-ended 
And then anything that the scientific model would throw up would line up with it. Pretty much. You mean as far as historical science goes? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what happened before. It doesn't speak to it. Uh, but I'm saying it's almost like the catch-all version of God can do what God wants to do. Yeah, he's beyond time well, anyway. It, anyways, it would so. be the catch-all for both sides. So you could say, yeah, it was the Big Bang. But yes, it was God that did that. Oh, no, yeah, and I, like, I understand it can be you supported. You cut it there and then... Yeah. Before humans gain this consciousness from God picking up Adam and selecting him. Before that, you can just say. I guess what I'm saying is you can believe that. It allows for both to be interpreted at the same time. Cohesively. Right. But past that. It sort of um, allows science to, to say whatever it wants to say. About how it began, when it yeah. began, whatever. Yeah. None of that. Which is actually fine. And the reason that that's fine is because the Hebrews didn't, according to this perspective, didn't necessarily care. They weren't trying to understand the birth of the first Adam. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. They were concerned yeah. with the scientific right. breakdown or quantum mechanics or thermal expansion or nothing like they wanted to know about God's purpose for them and how they lined up in the world. Right. And his, yeah. You know, it's, and even the amount when of, you view it that way when you're like, Oh yeah. They were describing their existence through purpose and not through the material existing. Yeah. Scientific understanding. Right. They don't, you know, they talk about the heavens and the earth, but when they talk about them, they just talk about there they are. This is their purpose here. This is, this is its purpose. It's not about making everything make sense in the scientific world with a scientific understanding of the Bible. That's their view. Like, why are you rectifying the speed of light? The Hebrews don't care about the speed yeah, of light. Yeah. It's not that kind of literary work. That's the whole. Whereas before I was like, does this make sense? Does this? And every time right. science came up with something else, I had to understand, you know, the thermal expansion of the universe. <laughs> and I had to understand how it related to Genesis. But the beautiful thing, and I don't mean that in a true sense, but the sort of simplicity of the situation is that looking at it in that context, as in there are some details that don't really matter that almost just bog it down. Yeah. As in you're, you're not, this book is not supposed to answer all of your scientific right. questions exactly, because yeah. it's purpose. The whole purpose of the book was to give purpose, like to explain the purpose of man's role in the world that God was creating purpose in. <laughs> yeah. Why are you trying to repurpose the book? What was the line of text giving purpose to the stars? This has the sign, is it the the one for signs and seasons? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just curious. Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. That would be the sun and the moon right yeah. there. 
and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. So he's saying use calendars based on it, right? Like base your sense of time and the way you measure things. Can you read the beginning of that again? Mm Mm-hmm. Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. So that was the lights he referenced earlier. He could also be referencing stars. Well, right there, when he's talking about separating the day from the night, he's specifically talking about the sun and the moon. Is he, though? Because during the day, you do not see the stars. During the night, you do. Okay, so it could be, I see what you mean. I mean, it could be both. Yeah, I mean, it could be both. Sure. It doesn't matter. And let them be for signs and for seasons. And for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heaven to give light upon the earth. But the reason I bring it up is because for (coughs) signs didn't make sense to me. Yeah. I think that would be a good word to look. The sun and moon. So, yeah, I guess what the Hebrew word. For sign. No, I think you're right. I think you actually are right about it being stars, too. Because that would make sense for water and space travel. Well, and, and they track... Uh, yeah. That's why... The astronaut, yeah. astrological type... What do they call it? They track star movement, you know. Oh, Constellation yeah. movement. That was the question I was talking about earlier when I was like, Genesis, I thought of a question and I, it left me. One of the purposes of, of viewing the way God was speaking to the Hebrews in this original text is, and David, this isn't to knock your point, but it's a good way to point it out. I think is that God didn't necessarily have to predict space travel to the Hebrews. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Yeah. Cause they didn't have any purpose in knowing it and they didn't have any, it didn't play any part in their role. It didn't ha- play any part in man's place in organizing his position in, in the new order of chaos, you know? So anyway, sign is a direct translation. Mm. As far as I could tell, it might mean Mark. I don't know. I'd have to see the Hebrew version of the Bible. And the tough thing about Hebrew is like, sometimes words have a general meaning. Yeah. yeah. Was and depending the on the thing. sentence and context they're in, you have to say, what were they trying to say? Mm-hmm. No, yeah, because I mean the characters. You'll get that point in in the Genesis one. The characters they use like for sign also used for mark, symbol, signal, and their their ideas. Right. And some words can be nouns or verbs, and Hebrews didn't write with vowels; it was all consonants. And so sometimes the the words could be totally different and look the same, and so it has to be interpreted based around the ideas that surround them in the in the scripture right around them i was i had forgotten i had to look again because i wasn't sure if i remembered it but in this paper i read this it was a by a christian physicist he outlines the root meanings of the hebrew words for evening erev and morning boker or boker b-o-k-r or b-o-k-e-r boker Correspond to disorderly and orderly, respectively. See the way that the way Hebrews break down words are by idea and function, right. and 
it's the way I had never heard that before. And the way something might like day might bring order or light bring order or purpose or whatever. I had never heard that perspective. And right. that, that was what was fascinating to me about this look is I know that with translations, you have to come, you have to make a choice. You have to choose a word that means that word. Right. Like, and you have to do it based on context. And that's a tricky game. Yeah, it's a little nuanced. You know? And so I think that as a outsider, when you come in, you have to be willing to listen to those perspectives and say, here's the evidence for what they believed and what they were practicing and how they would have understood it and why. And I, I don't think that I hear that from people that are trying to say, well, this proves this, this part of the Bible proves this in science, you know? And that was me. I'm not like pointing fingers. Right. It, I'm still trying, I'm in the middle of this thing. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out the correct perspective here. Cause I, I think that there's a truth in there. And I need it to, I, I have to figure it out because this is the impetus. This is the kickstarting of creation, you know, of man, of the rest of the story. And like I said last week, although it hasn't shaken my faith, I have to be able to defend it even if I disagree with it. And so I need to listen through and figure out where I'm going with it. <laughs> Nothing. Well, I mean, it doesn't feel my place to really say this as someone who's only just gotten into this topic, but since, you know, the writers, I guess, of the Bible don't seem to place that much of, a, of an importance on the length of time or how long creation took, I don't think it should be a make-or-break thing for a Christian to believe old earth or newer. Well, there are a lot of Christians who believe the earth is older and it doesn't seem to challenge their faith. But if I were to, you know, you have to choose how you're going to view the Bible and how you're going to read it. Right. And if you choose to read it literally and not figuratively or culturally, analytically, like however you're going to come down on that, needs to be consistent because that doesn't make sense if you're not. <laughs> right, right, right. That's true. So if you stay consistent with that, it's going to pose problems in one situation or another. We talked a little bit last week about how if you lessen the impact of sin across all of mankind, you negate the reason to have an ultimate sacrifice. Right. Right. So if you view, when you start your perspective of creation and analyzing the Bible and analyzing Hebrew and that kind of thing, it's going to bring into question how sin enters in that fall of man situation. And so that is going to put an entire focus on how that situation impacts the New Testament and how you view your current faith. Mm. If you're analyzing it like I am, but not all Christians do that. And I'm not pointing a finger one way or the other. Cause I'm, I'm sitting on the fence. You know right. what I mean? So I can't, 
But I can only say in my place, it would convict me. It, I'm convicted to find the side. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people ride that fence and they say, I can agree with the secular scientific world. And I can agree with the need for uh, forgiveness of sin. And the story of Genesis was just a story and not real. And I can't balance those two. Like I can't, those are too contradictory for me. Right. And so some people don't have a problem with that. And part of the reason is because they don't analyze it too deeply. And that was what they were raised in or whatever. And, some people, maybe they do find their own answers. I don't know. I mean, that's what I'm searching for. But I th- I think that d- you can look at it many different yeah. ways. And you can put it out of your mind or you can analyze it. And I just don't hear the answers that I'm looking for very readily and constantly. So I'm having to seek them. So we could talk about this probably for hours more. And... I, I for sure could, and I want to keep learning more. And I don't have any definite answers, definite changes. I accepted that every once in a while and possibly even more frequently than I would like that that was going to happen through this course. I thought mm-hmm. really when we started Candor Encounter, I would be more, right. oh, and then this changed, and or like I heard this, or this is why I'm staying. But if once just- I realized that, well... I mean, Analytical people aren't really like that. You rarely get to that finish line where everything shifts. But you always have more questions because you see more things. Mm-hmm. Sure. But at least people get to witness like one brick move at a time. Mm-hmm. You know, I even thought that we may have sporadic like rehash episodes where we study again deeper into where we were at. I was literally just thinking that. Mm-hmm. But we'll get to that one day. Today, I, I haven't shifted anything in my belief, but I believe that I have opened my eyes to pay attention in a legitimately self-honest way. Uh, God, that sounds so... I hate talking like that. No, I I know what you mean, though. The the It sounds self-patronizing, like. Not self-patronizing. What's the word? Self-affirming. Yeah. It sounds self-affirming. Yeah. But even when you're looking for things, you know whether you're happy or not with how you've done it. Yeah. The discontent that is there when there's disagreement between ideas or like when you haven't found the clear answer or, or the source that you have now been able to trust, you know, it, it just... The process is longer than I'd like it to be. (laughs) I wish it were a little more dramatic sometimes. Yeah, I think when we started this podcast, we were like, yeah, a week's enough time, I think. Absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, especially uh, in Chris's case with subjects regarding Christian faith. Yeah, those I tend to scrutinize very closely Mm -hmm. and spend more time on. It's just that personal investment, I guess. But... With you guys, I won't hide the fact that I wish I had more on young earth creation, not to support a view that may not be right, but like, how can I explain this? 
So I think I know what's happening, actually. But this just literally just occurred to me. So I'm formulating the idea now. So I actually think that now that I'm analyzing my behavior in the past, I think what I'm doing is starting to overanalyze like I'm in a counter episode. When I'm in the candor episode, I'm thinking the too far ahead and cutting myself off. Because I, did, I didn't honestly say what I came into the room believing. Because my brain already was in the candor episode. I knew where I was going to be and what I was going to have to I know what you mean. Defend. Yeah. And yeah. I, this might be true for me as well. In some instances, at least. Like, I was already formulating. Your counter. I know I was formulating. how to defend things and say them in a, what's a word for the intellectually safe way where I didn't have to defend them, but I was saying them in a way that wasn't affirming and didn't have confidence in them because I was already questioning them in the counter format. Does mm. that make sense? Yeah. I see where you're going. I should have just said yeah. what I came into the room believing. That's yeah. what I'm saying. So I, I laid out as much as I could. We've really been trying to cut down on the length of the episode lately yeah. because laying out two hours a week for listeners can be a little much and we want to parse it down. It's difficult with these deep topics because we could literally yeah. meet every day for a month and almost about one topic. I think that we do what we can do. Yeah. And we're going to try to make this stuff a little easier to consume. That's the goal. Yeah. So you've heard our perspectives, David, he, you can restate yours if you want to, but we all know that you and Sean, and that's not a error on the side of the scientific. Yeah. It's, it's not a jab, but it is a, it's a well understood view. I think I would say as far as, uh, or a readily accepted view and the, the earth is, uh, of a scientific age, but I think that everybody knows who we are and where we are. Yeah. This was a more interesting counter than I thought it would be. Well, I don't just mean the counter, but I mean, even researching the topics more interesting than I thought it was going to be. To be honest, I knew c kind of an idea of what to expect when I was going to look, but, uh, I kind of, I fell into a hole a lot deeper than I, I expected. You know, instead of a few inches, of a few feet. Yeah, exactly. Well, guys, I don't know how you feel about the age of the earth, but I hope that you were intellectually honest with yourself as well. I hope that you came away understanding who we are and what we believe. And we're going to pack it up and we're going to do this again another time if you'd like to you can submit a topic at counterencounter.com slash submit we'd love to take a topic from you and discuss it here between us three we also have a facebook page that you can go to view all of our episodes there it contains our sources that we found on each episode in the comments if you're listening on apple podcasts if you'll leave us a rate a review 
let us know how we're doing. It really helps our ratings and helps other people find our podcast. It would just help us out immensely. So we appreciate it. Any interaction is totally appreciated. Well, that's it for us, guys. We're going to go now. We love you as a human being. Thanks for listening. Until next time.